0: It's always a privilege to be able to uh, come and share with you guys here. Uh, It's always exciting to uh, see new faces. So um, uh, let's look at the scripture anyway. It's uh, it's in your brochures there from Romans 8, 1 to 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are dead as The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord.
1: Now, as you turn over there in the worship folder, you see Resurrection Life, and we are, over this next month, continuing a series on the Resurrection Life and what it means to us, what power it possesses, how it transforms and changes our life. And you see there the subtitle is New Father. And perhaps when you see that, you think to yourself, I'm not sure I I want to hear what this sermon is about. Perhaps your relationship with your father here on earth has not been one that has been all that fantastic. So let me stop for a minute and just recognize a couple of things before we go further. The first thing that you need to know about me is that I have a really good relationship with my dad. My dad and I text one another every day. I get a text from him and I'll text him back. Now, normally his texts are about the same. They say, I've been up early and I've been praying for your family and I love you very much. And my texts are almost identical back to him, love you. Now that's about it. Uh, It's not something that we're dealing and talking about all sorts of things. Now, however, there are times when we do that. I'll let you know that when I was a senior in high school, that's year 12, I had to write a paper, a persuasive paper. And in that persuasive paper, I decided to write a paper against running away from home. But in the opening paragraph, I had to acknowledge that I, in fact, came from, as I perceived it, at that time, the perfect family. So as we begin to delve into what it means to have a new father, I want you to hear from me clearly. I think that I have a pretty great dad. And he's loved me well. Now... In my life I have encountered plenty of other people that I have loved deeply who have been in my life consistently who do not have that great of a relationship with their families and their fathers. And so I want to acknowledge up front that as we begin to talk about a new father and we begin to talk about families, that it can bring up all sorts of things within you, pains and hurts and feelings of abandonment that you might possess. Some of you maybe have even lived through abuse in a relationship from family. And I want to say to you, by the end of this sermon, I hope that you recognize that our new Father is not one that is like that at all. As a matter of fact, our new Father that we have through the resurrection life is not like my Father as well. Because as much as my Father loves me, He lets me down, and I let Him down. As much as my Father has been in my life, I can remember times when I didn't see my father all that much because there was something more important to him than his family. It was the church. It seemed like a good thing, but he missed football games and birthday parties and putting us to bed. Now, I knew he loved me. You see, all of us in our earthly relationships have hurt, and they come. And so when we come to a place in Scripture that it talks about relationships that we can easily identify with, we very quickly can put things up on it and very quickly can bring things upon it. Here's the blessing in this. Our new father, the one who is ever pursuing of us in steadfast love, he knows that about us. And he has mercy and patience with us to come alongside in our hurt, even to join us deeply in that hurt. So much so that he became flesh and dwelt among us, so that we would have a brother who understands where we are at. And so as we begin, let me pray for us in that. Father, I don't know exactly what sort of feelings and memories and hurts could be brought up by talking and saying the word Father many times today. And so Father, we want to give all of us in this gathering to you. You already have us but we want to acknowledge that we want to open ourselves up, our whole hearts, our whole minds, our whole strength, our whole souls to you. And allow you to be the mercy that needs to fall on us. That you to be the great healer that you promised to be. To step into those places of brokenness to bring us back to wholeness. To speak into those places of lies and bring us to the truth. To speak into those places of bondage and bring us back to freedom. And so, Lord, I ask for a special uh, amount of mercy and grace and peace on these words and on those who will be hurt by hearing the word Father, that will have memories that will be hard. And I pray that we can love them well in that place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we begin this passage... Uh, It's interesting that really the very first part of this passage is almost identical, not in words, but in idea of what we talked about last week. So just real quickly to recap last week, our idea is that we in Christ, through his resurrection, have a new life that it is brand new, that old is passed away, that it no longer exists at all, that all the old things that we've dealt with, that now standing in Christ, in His righteousness, in His holiness, we are brand new, that that life is new. And, And we see that here in Romans. The first, oh, I don't know, almost 11 verses where he's talking about the fact that we've been set free and we're no longer in the flesh, but we live by the Spirit, that we don't put our minds on the things of the flesh, but we put our minds on the things of the Spirit. Why? Because we have been transformed. We are no longer dead. We are alive in Christ. But there's this great word in verse number one that I think we just need to talk about for a minute before we jump into what it means for us. To have this new life that leads us to a new father and a new family. And it's this word condemnation. It says to us there, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Now, if you've been in church very long and You've walked along in this path. I know that you've heard this word and you've maybe thought to yourself, yes, therefore there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And oftentimes we will look at it and make it a point in history, our history, in our personal life. Or maybe even we want to make it more big and and more uh, theological and we'll say that point is the cross where there became no condemnation because Christ, who was not sin, became sin for us. He took all the condemnation of of God upon himself. And so at that point, there is no condemnation. The interesting thing about the word is it's actually a progressive word. It's a word that says there is now no condemnation at a point and then carries on and says now there is never, ever, ever, ever any condemnation. That it does not come back that, yes, that point happened, but then you step out of the point, and then it comes back. It's kind of like playing the game Snakes and Ladders. You know the game Snakes and Ladders? Where you're going along, and you hit a ladder, and you get to go up, and you go along, and you're trying to get to the very end, but then you hit a snake, and you slide back down. Oftentimes, we think of our lives like that in relationship to what has been done in Christ. Right? We go, well, I'm walking along with God, and I've done something really good, and I get to climb the ladder, and I'm up a little closer to Jesus. Yes! And we walk a little bit longer, and temptation hits, and we slide back down the snake. And we look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm so much further away from where I was. God must be really disappointed with me. What Paul tells us here is he begins to move us into the understanding that we have a brand new life, that we have a brand new father and a brand new family, is this. There is no condemnation. It is done at the point of the cross. Boom. Condemnation no longer exists. And when my life is put into Christ, condemnation ceases to exist. And I now stand firmly in Christ. And I don't have to worry about this two steps forward and three steps back or three steps forward and one step back kind of relationship with God. Because where I'm at is in Christ. That means I can't get any closer to God than what I already am. He is holding me. And yes, he recognizes that the flesh is still present. Sometimes we don't give enough credit to God. (laughs) We think he can't possibly remember that. I remember it all the time, but God must not. Because if he did, he surely wouldn't like me anymore, because I don't. And see, and here's the beauty of understanding that there is no condemnation. We no longer feel the need to hide things anymore. We can live a radically transparent life. We can be bold in saying, I mess up, and be bold in saying, when I do great things, it is not because of me, but it is because of Christ, who lives in me, who gave me new life. It makes us be able to say, I know who I am and whose I am, and I'm God's. And that's where he transitions us to in verse 12. So he says, therefore, there is no condemnation. He wants you to know that that is forever in all times. And he says, you have a brand new life. You now live differently. Your minds are on different things, not as a checklist, but because it is in you. You can't help but do it. You live lives of devotion, not lives of duty to win favor." And then he gets to verse 12. Well, at least how we mark it, verse 12, but that's another story. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Remember, carrying on what we've said. For all who live and are led by the Spirit of God are sons... Of God, or children of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See, condemnation comes with fear, right? Condemnation is the spirit of slavery. And he's saying, you don't have that anymore. It's that thing that if I get caught, the ruler or the master is going to punish me. And what God says is punishment's already been done. It's taken care of. My righteousness now reigns completely and full. For you don't fall back into slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I'm going to stop there just for a second because I want to hold off on that little last part. See, here's what we uh, hear In this I think or maybe it's just me so if it's just me I'm sorry I'll preach to myself for a minute as we hear that word spirit of adoption and and, and when I was studying over this passage I wanted to get rid of that word I didn't want that to be the actual word that was present and let me tell you why Adoption, while on the outside we look at it and we say, look at this, how great it is. There's a family that has chosen this orphan and brought them in their family and and is loving them and caring for them and giving them this great new life and how awesome it is that without that family coming in and adopting this orphan they wouldn't have that. We remember stories like Oliver Twist where all of a sudden he recognizes who he's really at and we remember stories of Annie the musical and the, the cartoon and we think wouldn't we all like a Daddy Warbucks that would be great to be adopted into this really wealthy family but living close to adoption The the flip side of that is there is a family that gave a child up. There is somebody that at some point in their life, maybe as just a newborn infant, or maybe it's at year three or four when the parents have issues that they've not been able to resolve, and the state takes them away from their families. There's abandonment feeling of shame. There's unworthiness. Like, was I not good enough? That seeps in. And so I very badly don't like, really, that concept of adoption. Because while, yes, on the flip side, it looks great, and it's amazing, and there's this family that says, I've chosen you, and I love you. There's the very human side of it that strikes at my heart that says, but but what about the the feelings of those who have been adopted? What about the shame that they might feel, or the abandonment that they might feel? What about the abandonment and the shame that the family who couldn't keep the child might feel? What about the pain of death? that has maybe taken in and taken those children's family. We think of the refugees who are trying to escape Syria and other places. And the fact that their parents have died trying to get them to freedom and they end up in another country and somebody has to adopt them and somebody will love them and we think that's awesome. But were it not for tragedy and war they wouldn't be in that position. And I wanted to get rid of that word. I, I, don't, I don't want it to be there. I really looked in the Greek and, and really dug deep into my old seminary and Bible college training to get rid of it. And you can't. It's there. And it's not only there, Paul decides to use it five times. He uses it a couple of times, and Galatians Uses it a couple of times, and, and Romans. And so part of me then got to the point where I wanted to agree with some commentators who said that um, maybe Paul created this word. And so it's really just a Pauline word, and so it really didn't carry much weight in Greek and Roman world. And I could just sort of push it off as, well, Paul created this word, and that's not really what it means. can't. <laughs> you see, there, there's, wow, for those who are of the Jewish culture, there's not really a concept or an understanding of adoption, right? Because if somebody dies with, uh, and leaves their children, their family comes in immediately. Or if a husband dies without having an heir, the, the, the wife of that husband marries the brother or a kinsman. We see that in the story of Ruth, that they have to find a kinsman so that his name can continue on. So they really didn't even have a concept of what adoption was. But Romans did. The Romans had a concept of what adoption was. And there's this uh, law professor out of Scotland who wrote a paper actually in 1969 about this word. And the weight that it carries outside of scripture within Roman culture and an understanding of how all throughout Roman culture there's these inscriptions of this word that Paul, as a Roman citizen, would have known, and he would have brought it in to this place. And in that, the way that it works is this. His name was Francis Lyle, by the way, if you want to Google him later and look him up. What he he says is that adoption is a legal method for one person to enter in to a new family. And here's what it was about, continuity of that family. So, unlike in the Jewish culture that Paul was coming out of, and who he was sort of writing to, is the idea that, hey, look, if I don't have an heir, I need to get an heir, so I need to marry somebody that can provide an heir for me. And if I die, then my wife needs to marry somebody that's my kinsman, who's related to me, to give me an heir. In Roman culture, they said, no, you can go find anybody that you like and you can adopt them and they can continue on your name. But it was super powerful because here's what would happen in this adoption. It would take this person and all who they were and all their identity and their family relationships, it would take them and all of their debts and all of their wealth and all that they had accumulated. So it could be a 25-year-old person. And that other family would grab them and they would bring them in and adopt them. This word, spirit of adoption, in. And that old person, that person ceased to exist. And there was a brand new person. They were no longer in this world as that former person. They are now in this world as a member of this family who no longer has those debts, no longer has that identity, but now has all the rights and privileges, everything that is within that family, both riches and obligations, falls within that family. Because in the Roman family, they didn't wait for the daddy to die in order to get what they wanted and get their inheritance. It was spread out always. It was a family thing. This is ours, all of ours, and we all have rights to it so when paul is using this word here he is bringing over perhaps this idea of this roman adoption saying you had this identity but now you are sons and daughters of god no one even yourself cannot see you as any other different that's who you are that our new father says you're my children nothing else No longer that past person, the new person. Your new identity is my child. So this loving father comes in and he says, I need to continue my family. And he grabs us in and says, I give you a brand new identity. And not only that, you get all the privileges and rights and obligations of being this family. You are my children. So that's what he's saying there. Maybe Paul is bringing in this concept of Roman adoption. Now, in some ways, that makes it a little bit easier for me (laughs) to like this word, adoption, because there's a sense that there's a newness here. There's not just a taking you from a bad situation. It is negating the bad situation. Catch that. It's not just removing you from a bad situation. It is saying that no longer exists for you. How powerful that is for us because it moves us to the place where no wonder, he says, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So there's a couple of things that come from this movement to this new father and this new family for us. The first one is intimacy. Again, it's very hard for me when I talk about fathers not to step back into my father. And and that's why I wanted to set sort of up front this identity with who he is. My dad's a sinner. Look, he does terrible things. Okay, maybe not terrible things, but he's a sinner. He listens to these podcasts. That's shameful. Dad, I'm sorry. (laughs) But when I was a boy, on Saturdays, Uh, My dad would lay down and he would watch sports on TV. And I would climb on top of him and lay on top of my dad and watch sports with him. And I could hear his heart beating. That's the intimacy. So hurt and broken for those of you who don't have that with your fathers and with your mothers. And so we just pray that it's the Spirit. You notice there, it's the Spirit. It's not you. It's not not your past experiences. It's not the things that brought you to this place. It's the Spirit that causes you to be able to cry out to the Father, Abba, Father, and accept and receive the intimacy that he wants to have with you. Yes, I know. I know that your identity can be wrapped up in the, in the pushing away that you've had with your family and the pushing away that you have felt. But listen to me. When God adopted you, that no longer exists. That's not how you have to respond to a pursuant love. That's not how you have to respond anymore. Building up the walls of security so you don't get hurt anymore to those who have pushed you away and not understood you. Because the Father knows you intimately. And He says, I love you, my child. And our response through the Spirit is, Abba, Father, So we receive intimacy. Now, we don't just receive intimacy here. We receive assurance as well. Notice what takes place. It says then, and the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. You see what takes place is the spirit is constantly moving in us and working around us and growing deep inside of us and transforming us to whisper and shout <laughs> to us you're a child of God. And not only that saying to all that would tempt us and all that is around us, no, this is a child of God. You see when the accuser comes and wants to say that God must not love you that much because of what you've done. Hey, you've slid down the snake Hey, you were getting closer, but guess what? You screwed up again. The Spirit says, no, no, no. There is no condemnation anymore for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they have been adopted as a son or daughter of the Most High King. And in that, I testify that they're a son of God. You can't bring them back down to there. How powerful that is. If you've been walking this journey in life and you keep thinking that someday you'll get better, I want to give you a secret. You won't. But God transforms you to perfection in his son Jesus. And we'll cry out in his spirit over and over again, this is my son, this is my daughter. That's what he says over us. Not, "Mm, that's my son and daughter. No, proclaiming, testifying, as if in court. Is this a person who is the child of God? And the Spirit says, under oath, yes. Yes, it is. Certainly doesn't look like one, doesn't matter. It is, because they're in Christ. So we have intimacy, we have assurance, we have privilege. This is a dangerous one. We have privilege, we're heirs. What is this heirness that we receive? What is it that we're going to get, right? All right, I got adopted. Boy, how quickly our minds go to Annie again and say, yes, Daddy Warbucks, I get a, you know. So we are heirs in all righteousness that Christ has. We're heirs in all perfection that he has. We're heirs in knowing that at the end, Glorification comes not to us, but to Christ, because we are in Him. And when we see Him, we will be like Him, the Bible tells us. Full of glory. Not for our own sake, but so that God will continue to receive honor and praise that is due Him. That's the reason we live lives... Our life's whole purpose is to give glory to Him and to enjoy Him forever. And it can only get better, because we're heirs in that. So we have intimacy, we have assurance, we are heirs. And in heirs, we also have obligation. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... Here's the part that we left off just a second ago. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Oh, great. (laughs) Thanks. It was good up till now. Old self gone, new self here, laying on top of God, letting Him rub my back. Good stuff, Lee. Suffering? See, the path of righteousness, the path of God, is one that is suffering. It is one because you can't have new life without death. That person who's been adopted into a family, can't be an adopted person without having tragedy or abandonment that happened before. Oftentimes our suffering is self-imposed based on consequences of sins that we do when we decide we're better than God and we've got it figured out and we'll just sit on the throne. And those consequences come in. And even in that God can work and transform it to his glory. He takes our darkness and makes it light. But our suffering also comes at the hands of others and their pursuit uh, of godness, their pursuit of that, and it seeps in and it hurts us and we have broken relationships and fractured lives that take place could also come in a broader sense of persecution in the larger world and even here where we can recognize that there are places that we have been persecuted and there's suffering. And so maybe there's some assurance for us when we do feel like there is suffering that we are stepping into our childhood, that we are walking with God in that as a matter of fact that he has walked through it already for us and we stand in its possession now it doesn't make it any easier and that's why he doesn't leave us alone that's why he's given us spirit holy spirit and given us the body all of us So perhaps you're walking through life and you're going through a really terrible time and your life has been fractured. Let me just say, I know the church, the the gathering of people that follow Christ often have a bad name. I get it. I can only ask to give us another chance to come around you. We'll disappoint you. But we're striving to love God and love each other well. Join us. You know, in the end, Jesus really prepared us for this passage when he told the parable of the prodigal son. That great story that he tells of two boys, an older and a younger boy, and the younger boy is a little bit of a party animal and wants to get away and he goes to his dad and says, I know you're not dead, but let me act like you're dead and let me take my inheritance and run off and do with it what I want. And so he goes and does that and the father and the older son stays and he cares for his father's business. You know, because he's altruistic and he wants to take care of him. Not the fact that he's thinking about, well, my brother took this much, but now if I make this much, he's already got his inheritance, and I can have even more inheritance. I don't know, maybe that's just me, and the way I would think about it as the older brother. And the younger son goes off and he parties and he has lots of friends, and he ruins his life and he throws away his money. And the older son stays there and he works hard and he's diligent. Then the younger son comes to his senses, the way that we see it. And he says, i got to go back. And I can't go back as a slave. I can't go back as a son. I need to go back as a slave or a servant. And he starts going back. And Jesus tells us that the father sees him coming from the distance. And he picks up his robe, and he trucks it as fast as he can. Runs with all his might to get to his son. And his son begins to speak and says, Dad, I can't really even call you, Dad. He says, shut up. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You're my son. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. You're my son. Servants, go kill the fatted calf. Go get me a ring. Go get me clean clothes. We're going to have a blowout, mega, epic party. Because I love you. And you are here. And the older brother gets wind of it and he comes by and he sees it and he can't even step foot in it because the rage that is seeping within him is just burning his soul and he looks in and his dad finally sees maybe out or a servant says, hey, your older son is outside and he won't come in. We've invited him over and over again. And he accuses his father and says, I've been with you all along. (laughs) I've been working for you and yet this ragamuffin, this ne'er-do-well, this worthless piece of personhood showed up and you throw him the party. What about me? And the father says, haven't you recognized? All this has been yours all along. You see, the reality is both of them decided to live like orphans. One of them decided to kill his father and take his money and run, and the other one decided his father was no longer there and he should live his life just to please some entity that he thought maybe existed. You see, he didn't even recognize that his father was there all along, that his father had already given him everything that he owned, unheard of in Jewish culture. They both decided to live as orphans, but the Father is ever pursuing, ever loving and coming for them. So when we see this and we recognize that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that is within us that testifies over and over again, you are a child of God. He will help us stop living as orphans. And in doing that, we no longer live out of duty. We live out of devotion. We no longer live out of hiding. We live free and fully transparent lives. We no longer live in fear that somebody might catch us or we might do something wrong. We step boldly in the generous love of God, knowing that even if we screw up, God's got it. Why? Because He's our Father. Father God, many of us here still will have to reconcile our humanness, our human relationships with this passage, and it is hard. Let me just, Father, I give you thanks for my daddy and how much he loves me. Thank you that he's a good example of your love for me. I pray that for all those who are gathered here. If it's not their biological, their real, Father, that there's someone who can come into their lives that can reveal to them over and over again what your ever-pursuing love is, what your steadfast love is. Father, please do that. Lord, may these words be your words. If they're not, let them burn up and go away. But if they are, let them take root into our hearts and bring you glory and honor and praise. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Will you please join me as we respond to this word with Heidel, the Heidelberg Catechism. Question number 45 there on page 8. It says, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death so that we could make a, he could make us share in righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, By his power, we too are raised up to new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection.